If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to please open it to the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17 will be our text this morning. Over the past two weeks, Jody and I have noticed something in Emma that we have been praying for for a long time. That is that her cough is getting much stronger. Uh, her lung, that means that her diaphragm is strengthening and she's able to really move air and things out of her lungs. Uh, that's a big deal for us because that is something that she has to be able to do before the tracheostomy can ever be removed. In the past two weeks, it has really gotten stronger. So we praise the Lord, and as I say every Sunday, amen, we praise Him. And as I say every Sunday, thank you for your prayers, and please continue to keep praying for her healing. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. These are the words that Jesus spoke. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you for loving us first. And Father, even in the reading of this text, we recognize that we have not loved as we ought to love. So we ask you, Father, to change our hearts, to give us grace, to forgive us, and to help us to apply this passage to our lives. Father, we ask this so that we can be obedient to you and so that those who do not know you may look at the love we have for one another and notice the difference in quality and quantity of it so that in the end they may be drawn to you confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We ask this in his name. Amen. I do my best to plan my preaching three to four months in advance, taking a look at the text, where we'll be. I do this because it makes preparation just a little bit easier and also helps Chris in planning the music in advance. But there are times where I step away from what I had planned. And quite frankly, as I was looking at this text, and when I'd planned it several months ago, honestly, it did not even register to me that this was a Sunday before Election Day. And for a while, I prayed about and thought about changing the text and maybe preach on just reminding us of God's control. But I decided not to do that. I decided not to change the text because I realized that all too often in our nation, 
we are prone to identify ourselves only by a political label, whether it be Republican, Democrat, conservative, or liberal, that that becomes the way we primarily see ourselves. This text reminds us that the primary way we are to see ourselves is as followers and friends of our Lord Jesus. I was also pushed and compelled to stay in this text because it's a reminder that we have a command from our Lord. A command that stands no matter what the outcome of Tuesday's election will be. No matter who wins, what election this year or the coming years, our command, our commission remains the same. It does not change. And we need to keep those orders in mind. In fact, we have standing orders from our Lord Jesus that are in effect no matter what. If you serve in the medical field, you are familiar with a standing order. It's an order that's to be performed without a doctor given a written order. If you served in the military, you are familiar with standing orders. These are orders that are in effect and are not reliant upon a commanding officer issuing them every time. For example, when a soldier stands guard duty, there are standing orders that are in place. For example, that guard is to stand in his or her post in a military manner, keeping always alert and observing everything that takes place within sight or hearing. Another standing order for the one standing guard is that they will only quit their post when properly relieved. Our standing orders are found in this passage. In fact, they bracket this paragraph at the beginning and the end. They form what is called an inclusio, often to emphasize a truth. The Holy Spirit would lead the writer to start a train of thought with an idea and then to conclude that train of thought with an idea so that everything in between those ideas serve those main points. I draw your attention to verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another. Now look down to verse 17, the last sentence in this paragraph. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The main point of this passage is emphasized in that inclusio, in that, that bracketing of these ideas. So just reading those two verses, what is the main point? The command that we love one another. Those become our standing orders. Jesus condenses the commands found in verse 10 where he says, if you keep my commandments to really one, love each other. As Nathan read earlier from the Gospel of Matthew, that command to love one another serves as the foundation of the law and the prophets. In other words, if we as a people were to practice loving one another, there would be no need for any other law. Keeping in mind what was read earlier, a very logical question is, well, why doesn't Jesus mention the first of those great commandments? Why doesn't he say, the greatest command I give to you is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Well, his statement here does not change that truth. The only change is the context. Jesus is speaking to his disciples those who have walked with him for almost three years now, those that are familiar, that are very familiar with that teaching to love the Lord your God with all your being. But at this moment of time, in this hour, in that upper room before he is arrested, 
he reminds them of the command to love one another. You see, in the Gospel of John, there is a chain that forms an unbreakable link that encompasses love. It starts with the love of God. And Jesus teaches that if we love God, we will love the Son. For we cannot love God without loving the Son, nor can we love the Son without loving God the Father. But then that chain does not stop there. For if we are to love God and we love the Son, Jesus Christ, we must also love one another. We must love those whom Jesus loves. So it is love for God, love for Jesus, and then love for one another that is presented. In fact, it is our love for God that is verified by our love for one another. John emphasizes this point in his epistle, 1 John, when he says these words. If anyone says, I love God, but they hate their brother, then they're a liar. Let the weight of that statement sink in. If we are quick to say, I love the Lord, but we hate our brother, John's saying we're liars. He says, how can we say that we love God whom we cannot see and yet fail to love our brother whom we can see? You see, the test of our authenticity, the test of our faith is in loving one another. It's like a diamond that can be tested for its uh, authenticity by breathing upon it. You take a diamond and you breathe upon it. If it's a real diamond, it will not fog up. Because the diamond is so hardened, the water molecules can't form to it. Now, don't test your diamonds here and now. A fake diamond will fog over. A test of authenticity. Authentic faith is revealed in how we love one another. That is the mark of Christian faith. But this love is not just mere sentiment or emotion. It's not just making a statement and then saying, bless their heart, oh how I love them. No, Jesus doesn't allow us to become that subjective. Because notice what he says in verse 12. You love one another as I have loved you. Now we have a standard. What does this love for one another look like? It looks like the love of Jesus. And notice there's a change in intense. Notice in verse 12 he says, My command is that you love one another. That is continual. Present tense continual. It doesn't stop. But then when he gives the standard by which we are to love, he says, As I have loved you. Past tense. Now Jesus is referring to the cross. And even though it has not happened yet in John 15, he speaks of it because he knows it is going to occur. And it becomes clear that he is referring to his death on the cross when you read verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The word friends there is the word philos. It's a form of the Greek word for love, philo, brotherly or friend, love. The Gospel of John, philos and agape, two words for love, are used synonymously, interchangeably. In fact, our English language, the word friend reflects that idea, that the idea of friendship is founded in love. The English word friend comes from the Anglo-Saxon word freon, which means to love. So you can literally say, when Jesus says this, he says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for someone that he loves. 
Now, you would expect Jesus to say there is no greater love than someone lay down his life for his enemies. Especially when you consider that Jesus said we are to pray for our enemies, pray for those that persecute us. When in Romans chapter 5, Paul said that even when we were enemies of God, he died to reconcile ourselves unto him. But as I said earlier, keep in mind, Jesus is speaking to his friends. He is telling them that he is going to die for them and that they should be willing to die for one another to follow his example. So how do we apply that? The reality is that odds are none of us will ever be faced with the challenge of should we take a bullet for someone in this congregation. I hope we're never faced with that. The truth is we are to die to and for one another in the ways that we serve each other. Years ago, I read a book by Charles Colson called Loving God. What he writes about in there was so applicable. And one of the stories has always stuck with me because I see it played out in this congregation and how we are to love one another. It takes place on a cold December night in 1982. A lone man walks into the hospital and makes his way up to the cancer ward, the oncology unit at Georgetown University Hospital. He goes to room 11 and there he goes to where he's been going for several nights and he pulls up a chair next to the congressman-elect out of Colorado's 6th Congressional District, a man by the name of Jack Swigert. Jack's claim to fame is that he was the pilot of the lunar module for Apollo 13. And he has recently been elected to represent Colorado in the House of Representatives and he has also been diagnosed with cancer. Jack is slowly dying. The man who has been coming to see Jack is Senator Jack Armstrong. Senator Armstrong has been coming every night. He's a busy man though. He's chairing the subcommittee that is arguing through a perennial issue in Washington, that of Social Security. However, his busyness does not stop him from coming to do his duty, not to a fellow congressional member, but to a fellow believer. Senator Armstrong leans over Jack and he says, Jack, you're going to be all right. God loves you. I love you. You're with friends. Jack doesn't respond. He just breathes. Senator Armstrong pulls his chair closer to the bed and opens his Bible and begins reading the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Time passes. Senator Armstrong begins reading Psalm 150. And his skin gets goosebumps because of what he fails to hear. Jack is no longer breathing. He leans over the bed, then he calls for help. His friend had gone to be with the Lord. Well, politicians are busy people, especially a senator serving on a subcommittee. But it never occurred to Senator Armstrong that he was too busy not to be at that hospital. Because that's what a Christian does when they serve one another. Those are the ways that we serve each other. Taking time. Showing the love of Christ. And it's not just in the things that we do. But I think it's in the words that we say. We need to show love for one another in the words that we speak to one another. And say about one another. 
It's all too easy in this day and age to send out an angry email or to post something on Facebook without thinking about the ramifications of it, without thinking about who will be reading this and how it reflects the gospel. Alan Redpath is an evangelist, an English evangelist from the 20th century. He wrote about being a part of a men's group where they made a commitment that they would only say the things that fit into this acronym. And I think it's a good one that every Christian should follow. It spells out the word THINK. Is it true? Is what I'm about to say true? Do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's accurate? H. Is it helpful? Is this going to help someone? I. Is it inspiring? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? N. Is it necessary? Is what I'm about to say absolutely necessary? finally the K is kind is it kind is it true is it helpful is it inspiring is it necessary is it kind if it does not pass that test it should not be said our words can build or destroy and we need to be mindful of that because our world is filled with words we show our love for one another in how we speak and serve one another. And in doing so, we show that we are friends of Jesus. Verse 14, Jesus makes an astounding statement. You're my friends if you do what I command you. That's extraordinary because all of a sudden now, the disciples and us, we join the ranks of Abraham and Moses who were called friends of God. Now let me be clear. Jesus is in no way teaching that obeying the command makes you his friend. In other words, obedience reveals that you are his friend. It's the test of friendship. And in verse 15, notice that he describes our friendship by pointing out the fact we're not just servants. He says, I don't call you servants. A servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. And we recognize that as disciples, we refer to Jesus as Lord. Paul referred to himself as a bondservant of Jesus. You see, speaking of friendship does not disregard our role as a servant. A servant speaks of what we do. We serve our Lord. Friendship speaks of the level of intimacy that we have with our Lord. Our relationship is marked as, as one of friendship. And that friendship is defined by what we know. A servant is given an order and has no context, no understanding of why, but we are different. When we are given an order, a command from the Lord, we have a context, an understanding of why. A friend has the knowledge of what is going on. Now, the best analogy I could come up with this is that of Batman and his servant friend, Alfred. Do you remember that? Bruce Wayne dons the cowl and fights crime by night. But who's there in the background serving and helping? Alfred, the unsung hero. Who serves but has intimate knowledge of what is going on and what is needed and why. Verse 15 is an Alfred verse. Because notice what he says. He says, I've made known to you all that the Father has made known to me. Now, that doesn't mean that we will have an understanding of everything that happens. 
Because notice the parameters. Jesus says, all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Think of what Jesus had heard from the Father that he passed along. His identity as Savior. His death and upcoming resurrection. The act of redemption. That the kingdom was being inaugurated. So it's telling us that the commands that we are given to do and to obey, like loving one another, have in the background the kingdom of God, the identity of Jesus, and the cross and the resurrection. We show in loving one another who Jesus is. We show the veracity and the power of the resurrection and how we live and how we love one another. We serve as friends with an intimate knowledge as to why we are doing what we are doing. Now, lest that cause any hint of pride to arise in our lives, like we are friends because we have so much to offer Jesus, Jesus stops that immediately in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. We are friends of Jesus only because of his electing sovereign grace. It is his work. So he says, you are dependent upon me. And he reminds us that this idea of election is not one of privilege, but responsibility. There's a purpose for which we have been called by God. We've been appointed to go, bear fruit, and that fruit is to be abiding. Let's start with that because this is a standing order to go. This is the precursor to the Great Commission. We are called to carry the message of the gospel to the world. We're called to go. February of 1952, a huge storm blew in off the coast of Massachusetts. It's a huge storm with winds that were howling, snow was blowing. And on that night, two huge oil tankers experienced difficulties. The Coast Guard responded to the first one in force, not thinking that two tankers would experience trouble, but not knowing that the Pendleton would literally break in half. When it was discovered what would happen, the commander of the Coast Guard unit recognized that his only recourse was to send out four men on a small boat to do the rescue they could. The boat would be led by a young man named Bernie Weber. As Bernie was gathering his crew and getting ready to walk out the door, one of the fishermen who had gathered around the Coast Guard office to see what was going on called Bernie to the side. He said, Bernie, don't go. There is no way you will get a small boat over Chapman's Bar. It's too dangerous. It's suicide. Bernie, what you need to do is to take your boat and your men, drive around the harbor for a while, then come back and just tell him you couldn't make it out. If you go, you'll die. Bernie responded by saying this. The Coast Guard tells me that I have to go, but it doesn't tell me I have to come back. And he took his men and they did the greatest small boat rescue in Coast Guard history because he was willing to go no matter the cost. Our command is to go. Every believer, every believer is called to share the gospel. Every believer is to be equipped and ready to share the gospel because our goal is fruit. Now, other times when Jesus has mentioned fruit, he's referred to characteristics that reveal our walk with him. But not so here. The fruit here are those that will be one to Christ. And he says this is abiding fruit because our call is to make disciples. In other words, to engage in, in serving others by helping them to grow in the faith. Fruit that abides. And when we are on that mission, when we are obeying our standing orders, notice at the end of verse 16, our prayers will be effective. Because our prayers will be geared toward that end of sharing the gospel. He's saying here, 
The supply chain won't be broken. When you pray seeking what is needed to fulfill the call to go, God says, I will supply it. There will be no lack. And it's great encouragement because as a congregation, we have a mission. And our mission is not for our comfort or our convenience. Our mission is to share Jesus. And notice after emphasizing this standing order, he comes back to the primary one. Love one another. An army that is fighting among itself will not be effective. A team that is bickering with one another will not win. But a church that is loving one another and is on task of sharing the gospel, that's a church that will walk in victory. Let's be that church. Let's love. Let's share. And let's seek to show the world what friendship with Christ is about. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we recognize that this task is greater than we are. We recognize our weaknesses and our failures. So, Father, we ask you to grant us grace. Father, if we are carrying enmity toward a brother or sister in Christ, forgive us. If we haven't sought how we can serve one another, Lord, forgive us. If our words have brought harm instead of help, forgive us. And Lord, direct our hearts that we would seek to live, to live as those who have been called by you as friends. Thank you for this, Lord. For we recognize that it's not by our works or by any small meager gifts we may have it's all because of you so Lord be glorified and supply what we need to fulfill these standing orders in Jesus' name I pray Amen let's stand together church as we respond